it's that time Christmas time is here Everybody knows there's not a better time of year Hear that sleigh Santa's on his way Hip hip hooray is screen pass vacation Past the show about American football in popular culture. I'm Sheehan, and with me as always is the man who is unbeatable at curling, curling one out, that is, Justin Barber. Are you feeling festive, man? Oh, I sure am. I'm holly and jolly over here. How you doing, Sheehan? I'm good, man. Is curling one out a phrase that has crossed the Atlantic? No, I've never heard that. No? As in, like, I'm going, I'm going to the toilet to curl one out? Uh-uh, no, no, I haven't heard that. <laughs> That's new to me. <laughs> but now it has. We're bridging gaps here. We're bridging social gaps. The last episode, the Home Improvement episode, it was strumming one out. This week, it's curling one out. Maybe we're going to become a <laughs> verb one out podcast right. from here on out. People are learning all sorts of stuff by listening to our nonsense. I love it. I can't imagine that is true. <laughs> I can't either. It is the Christmas season and nothing says Christmas like Christmas movies. Do you ever watch any of these new Hallmark Christmas movies? The like, it's a Christmas prince at Santa tree factory? (laughs) No. Uh, So there is a joke. I think I've mentioned this before where we mainly just watch streaming. Netflix or Hulu or HBO Max or all that stuff. But I leave the television on the Hallmark channel because I think it's funny, you know? And so anytime we turn on the television now, all those movies are on and we just go to streaming. So, but I never actually sit down and watch them. I have relatives that do constantly. Yep. How about you? No, absolutely not. Not even... Like one of these ones where it's like, oh, it's it's this person and this might even be interesting to you. No, no interest in these. Frankly, and I realize all movies are made up, made up movies. And it's always former television stars. Like you'll see Winnie from the Wonder Years is starring in it or... Dean Kane, Someone from Full House or something. Yep. Our friend from um, fucking Varsity Blood the other week is in a bunch Ugh. of them. Yeah, there's a bunch of them in there. They just live there at the Hallmark Channel. They have cots set up in the back. They feed them fish heads and paint chips. (laughs) (laughs) I can't imagine she's the lead. Oh, I only saw her as the lead from that one where it was like the photo thing. Yeah, true. Photographer falling in love. No, thank you. (laughs) I haven't seen that one. We talked off pod about doing this, and there's no clever segue to get into this. What are your favorite Christmas movies? We decided we'd talk about our top five. Yeah, top five's good. I like that. It was hard to do, though. It was. I don't think it was super hard, but I could say if we did a top 10, I could easily rock out that list. When we cut it down to five, I have like probably three or four honorable mentions that I just kind of struggled with getting in there. Do you want to start with those honorable mentions? Why don't we save those to the end? Let's do the top five. And then we'll throw out our honorable mentions in case if one of our honorable mentions happens to be in the other one's top five. That's a a very good idea. Give us number five. Let's start there. So for me, number five 
and I felt almost obligated to put this one on there is Elf. Elf with Will Ferrell. Why are you smiling like that? I just like to smile. Smiling's my favorite. Make work your favorite. That's your favorite, okay? Okay. Work is your new favorite. Fine. Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Santa! Oh, my God! Santa here? I know him. I know him. For obvious reasons, it has to make the list. It's a good movie. The reason it's lower on my list is just because, at least in my family, it's been played so much that the shine is a little off the apple. I kind of gravitate towards watching something else, but without question, it's going to come on this year. I'm surprised it hasn't already. I actually saw a musical theater production of Elf. Yeah, we looked at going to that in London. Where? How was it? Oh, it was trash. It was so bad. It doesn't translate very well, <laughs> but it was worth the experience. You know, you know, I'm a theater guy. I like to go to plays. I'm big on like seeing Shakespeare plays and stuff. I'm not as much a musical guy seen like the lion King and Annie and they were great, but elf was just kind of like, I was there for the experience. Uh, but that's really all I took away from it. We could probably get sidetracked for an entire episode talking about the rise of the, the remake musical and they, you're right. They either tend to be, you know, quite enjoyable, like uh, high fidelity the musical is very good. Ooh. Um, I enjoyed Pretty Woman far more than I thought I would. And then like The Wedding Singer, a movie that is ostensibly a musical anyway, no good on stage. I almost feel like if a movie's very funny, how can you recreate that on the stage? Yeah. It's just watering down what its original thing is. Like Elf, I think is perfect for what it is. It's a funny movie. I've, it's Will Ferrell. It's got good Christmas stuff, good scenery. It's just hard to cut that over. It almost has to be a non-funny movie that they can work in to make it better. Yep. I don't envy whoever would have to kind of match that Will Ferrell energy. He's kind of one of a kind, like a Chris Farley or a Jack Black or someone like that. Like, how do you, as a person who is probably not knocking down the door of the Tony Award ceremony, with all due respect to the people who are doing this, how do you match that one of the great comedians, one of the great comic actors ever, who is so physical and so funny? Like, good luck to you. Um, yeah, there's no way. Did you have Elf on your list? Actually, we don't really like Elf. Oh, okay. That's fine. I think it's fine. I'll never turn it off if it's on, but I'm also, if I'm looking for a Christmas movie, it's not one that I gravitate towards. And I really like Will Ferrell. You know, I'm, I'm okay on Zooey Deschanel, but <laughs> Elf is just not it for me. Right. Yeah, I enjoy it. I think it's a good family movie. If I'm being honest, I think other people find a lot of the jokes way funnier than I do. But all in all, I think it's a well-made movie. It reminds me of Christmas, an instant classic. So uh, that's number five for me. What do you have for number five? My number five, and it, it's super cliche, is It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Christmas present from a very dear friend of mine. Look, Daddy, teacher says every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. That's right. That's right. If you go back and watch it, it's not especially Christmassy. Certainly it culminates at Christmas. It's a fascinating look at the life of a person, a wonderful life of a person who 
touches so many people without even realizing a man who gives up on his own dreams, gives up everything to do the right thing by other people. And you can see him getting more and more dragged down by that as it goes in the, in the movie. And of course, it's got our, our main man, Jimmy Stewart. I love the story around it. I love the fact it wasn't successful. I love the fact that it's become a classic because it was basically through that point of no value whatsoever. I love that it was his comeback film. I think he's fantastic in it. There's a lot of fun in it. The last 10, 15 minutes is incredible. Yep. When he gets home and he finds that everyone's there and they're all singing old Lang Syne. Like if that doesn't bring a tear to your eye, then you're a sad, heartless bastard. So <laughs> it's a wonderful life. Uh, makes the top five for me. That was my first honorable mention. And I agree with everything you said. I love It's a Wonderful Life. There was actually a stint where it was, I, I want to say like a five-year period or so, maybe six-year period, where I would watch It's a Wonderful Life every Christmas Eve. Yep. I can't even add to it. It's, it's great. Jimmy Stewart is amazing. He's properly Jimmy Stewart now. He's, oh, wait a minute. Well, Happy New Year, uh, <laughs> Bedford Falls. You, you, you want the moon? I'll throw a lasso around it. Oh, you want the boat? Yeah. Buffalo girls. <laughs> Honestly, that was the one I struggled with at the bottom there um, to put it in. It's a long movie, but it is definitely worth sitting down. We're probably going to watch that around here this holiday season. Yeah, it is long. What do you got at number four? Number four, probably not on a lot of people's lists, but it's Home Alone for me. Maybe it's just nostalgic. But I got to be honest, it still makes me laugh to this day. It is a heavily Christmas oriented movie. I still think it's funny. I still think it's cool. The pacing is great. I don't really have to explain Home Alone to people. I don't know who hasn't seen it, but there's just there's parts of it that I really like when he's in the church scene and the song kicks in with the bells and he's running home. It's like all of that is just so Christmassy to me. It's just a really good feel good movie. Yep. So it's on the list. Yeah, always enjoy Home Alone. It's not on my list. It's not on my honorable mentions. It's kind of in that Elf category as well. I probably like it more than Elf. I certainly like the second one more than Elf. I think I probably like the second one more than the first one. It's great. And Macaulay Culkin's fantastic in it. Yeah, without question, his best role. I've heard people say that too. A lot of people like the second one more. Not me. I really do like the first one the most. It's number four. Can't argue with that. At number four for me is one that I realized as I was doing the list I haven't watched for quite some time. That's Bad Santa. Billy Bob Thornton as Willie, whatever his name is. It's just a tremendous film. I watched it so much when I was younger. Yep. Bernie Mac is amazing in it. John Ritter is incredible. Uh, Thurman Merman, the, the big fat kid, incredible as well. It's not especially Christmassy. Yeah. Um, it's certainly Billy Bob Thornton learns a lesson and he is Santa and all of those sorts of things. I would happily watch it every year. I'd watch it um, a couple of times a year. I remember I watched it once with an ex-girlfriend's cousin. I was going to say an older guy. He would have been in his late 30s, early 40s at the time we were watching it. I was sort of early 20s. And we were watching it on TV. And every ad break, it had sort of cut to the, the commercial go, well, I'll tell you what, mate. He is a real bad Santa, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah you get it (laughs) yeah this guy gets it this guy he gets it 
So I haven't watched that for a very long time. I am going to watch it this Christmas because it, it's been a few years. I, I love Bad Santa. It's a good movie. I don't have it on my list. I don't have it on my honorable mentions, but I agree with you. It's a fun, it's a fun movie. My dad, it would probably be at the top of his list. He's already watched it this year and he brought it up to me. Like he made a bad Santa reference and he's like, you watch that yet this year? And I'm like, nope, not yet, dad. The scene where John Ritter's explaining to Bernie Mac that um, Billy Bob Thornton was having sex with a, a large woman in the change rooms. Yep. Bernie Mac is just like, yeah, can't, can't stop that. Wouldn't want to if I could. Like, <laughs> sitting there like having his fiber drink and right. That's tremendous. I'm I'm definitely going to watch it soon. What's number three for you? Number three for me is Family Man. And that is with Nicolas Cage and Tay Leone. Have you seen this movie? I have not seen this movie at all. So this movie kind of, in a way, has parallels to It's a Wonderful Life, kind of in the sense of it's not really a heavy Christmas movie. It takes place at Christmas. And what it is, essentially, Nicolas Cage is a very rich, very successful, no kids, no wife. He's just living like that high life workaholic. And he gets a glimpse of what it would have been like if he ended up marrying his high school sweetheart. It's just a feel good movie. It really puts things in perspective. For me, it has that kind of Christmassy spirit. I mean, number one, it takes place at Christmas, but it has that spirit of looking at your life and what's important and what's valued. I love it. And it just recently would probably have hit this top five list in the past five years or so for me. I started watching it at Christmas. It's it's one of my favorite and I check it out every year. If you haven't seen it, I definitely recommend it. It's a good movie. It's a feel good movie for sure. And funny. You probably already know. I'd never heard of it before. Um, I might have a look at it. There's a little seven degrees of separation from the film we're going to talk about shortly. The writer-director was the assistant to the director on The Family Man. Very good. Mm. I didn't know that. Yeah. Number three is a real close seven degrees to our last episode. That's the Santa Claus. I knew that would hit your list. I feel like I'm right in the sweet spot age-wise. For me, Tim Allen is Santa. I love the I love the first one. It's funny. There's a darkness to it. It's a weird world. There's a lot going on. Yep. I will watch it every year. Sometimes I watch it multiple times a year. I enjoy it every single time. I don't like the sequels quite as much. They feel a bit like the rough edges have been taken off. They're a bit more family friendly. Uh, the third one is parallels to It's a Wonderful Life as well. Yep. Martin Short is fantastic in that. Martin Short. Yeah, he's Jack Frost. There's a fantastic scene with him and Anne Margaret where she's singing the Christmas song. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. And she gets to Jack Frost nipping at your nose. And he just keeps getting her to sing that bit over and over again. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so I, I really love the Santa Claus. It's one of my favorites. It's my, my number three favorite. At one point, he puts on a tool belt and takes it off. He grunts in it. Oh, oh, oh. He's got to put that mark in there. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. What's uh, number two for you? So I struggled to make this between number two and number one. But I'm going to put it at number two. Die Hard. Hey, Lincoln 30 to dispatch. 8030, go ahead. Yeah, that's a wild goose chase over here at Nakatomi Plaza. Everything here's okay. Over. But nobody has no place to go. Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Damn, God damn it, is that a crap? 
arguably my favorite. It's an amazing movie for obvious reasons, and it definitely, without question, is a Christmas movie. At one point, one of the guys gets killed. John McClane puts a Santa hat on him and writes on his chest, now I have a machine gun, ho, ho, ho. It takes place at a Christmas party. I love it. I love Die Hard. We watch that without question every year. It's interesting because this argument has come up, I would say, less than a decade, whether this is a Christmas movie. My family has been watching this on Christmas Eve for like 20 years. And I don't know why we started. I think we started because it was funny. We're going to watch Die Hard instead of Snoopy's Christmas or whatever. But (laughs) we watch it every year. Three years back, there's an old theater in Baltimore, and they played it on the big screen. Took my mom some drinks and stuff, and we went there and we watched it. It was really cool to see it on the big screen in the holiday season. yippee ki I I don't really have an opinion on whether Die Hard's a Christmas movie or not. I think it's one of these things that, like, if it's part of your Christmas tradition, enjoy it. Yep. If it's not, don't. What I do have an opinion on, people who want to argue whether it is or it isn't. It just doesn't fucking matter. Like, it 100% doesn't matter whether it is or it isn't. But it's like pineapple on pizza or all these other things that people are like, (laughs) I can't imagine ever seeing it the other way. I hate the discourse around it. But I tend to, I always say, it's like the thing people are like, oh, my favorite movie's... Well, my favorite Christmas movie is Die Hard. My favorite Christmas Christmas song is The Fairy Tale in New York. My favorite Muppet is Animal. It's like, all you just want to do is like, oh, I'll look the cool one. Yep. You're, yep. Like, you're not cool. You're not different. You're not hard. Like what you like. Whoa, 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 whoa. I am cool. Thank you very much. <laughs> I got some news for you. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, that's understandable. And people have lately put it on as a trendy movie, for sure. Yep. But that's kind of what bothered me about it, too. I mean, we've been doing this for forever. For me, it definitely is part of that Christmas catalog. And I don't like that it has been a jump on this diehard train. It's become a big debate. For us, it's just always been part of our stuff. My family, Fantasy Football League, we call it Holiday Brags, so we can brag at the holidays. And it's a picture of Bruce Willis as John McClane crawling through the vet. Is <laughs> Our league picture. So, <laughs> come out to the coast. We'll get together, have a few laughs. It is a great movie, and I enjoy watching it every year. You'll get no argument from me there. Great movie, great action movie. Uh, and if you think it's a great Christmas movie, then you think it's a great Christmas movie. And if you don't think it's a Christmas movie, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Just let people do what they want to do. <laughs> I struggled putting these two. As, as one and two, they could have been either or. In truth, they are probably equal first. Watched one of them this evening. In fact, the, the one I, I have in second place, I watched it this evening, right before we started recording, and that is Christmas Vacation. Yeah, that is my number one. Yep. So there we it's are. It's yep. fantastic. Like Chevy Chase's, it's funny. It's got heart, tremendous performances, like the jokes land... It's just so good. And there is always little things that pop up that you remember as you go each year and things you never catch before. I absolutely love it. It has everything. The humor is great. It has the array of types of humor so everyone can enjoy it. It's obviously hardcore Christmas centric. It's great. He struggles with the lights. You know, he struggles with the family being there and the dog getting into the trash and the boss giving you a garbage holiday bonus. It's 
got everything that like relates to Christmas and it's hilarious. That's exactly it. It's so relatable as well. Everyone's had the stress at Christmas time. Everyone has the chaotic family. We all know a Clark Griswold who just wants to do the best for his family. Yes, he's a massive creep. Yes, they make it out like the smoking hot Beverly D'Angelo is like day old meat that's been left out in the heat. <laughs> no, that's totally unfair. I got screwed out of a bonus at work uh, last year and literally said to my boss, you've got me the fucking jelly of the month club. <laughs> I reference that all the time. I think I sent that to you on something recently. <laughs> jelly of the month club. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, that's it. It's, you know, it's Merry Christmas. Shitter was full. Um, yeah. It's why is the floor wet, Todd? I don't know, Margot. It's squirrel. Kid called Ruby Sue. <laughs> like, yep. just tremendous and I was thinking tonight it's sort of it's a product of a bygone era because they just don't make films like that anymore as I say Clark is a real creep everything is so sexless these days that like there's just like a weird kind of sexy edge to it that you don't see in movies anymore I'm not saying that's necessarily selling point one way or the other you watch it be like yeah they really don't make movies like this anymore for uh -oh. a number of reasons it's a bit nipple um, out here. Wait, uh, nippy. Yeah. What did I say? Nipple? <laughs> Wouldn't be the Christmas shopping season if the stores were any less hooter than they are. Harder than they are. Whew, it is warm in here. Well, you have your coat on. Yes. Oh, do I? How did that happen? Because it's cold out? Yes. Yes. It is. It's a bit nipply out. I mean nippy out. <laughs> what did I say? Nipple? <laughs> uh, there is a nip in the air, though. Can I take something out for you? When she's like showing him her underwear and Russ walks up like, <laughs> yeah. right, Russ, what? <laughs> I think it's better than vacation. I agree. And certainly it's better than European vacation and Vegas vacation and all those. But no, I absolutely love Christmas vacation. That's my number one. If that's your number one, my number one is The Muppet Christmas Carol. Nice. Absolute fan. I watch it every year with uh, with two of my very close friends. We go to one of the cinemas here. They All this cinema does is basically show old movies and art house movies. So they do like the Die Hards, Christmas Time, Home Alone quote along. So they do the Sing Along Muppet Christmas Carol. We go along, we get very drunk, we sing along. For me, it's not Christmas until you've seen Michael Caine hug a frog. I love the story of A Christmas Carol anyway. It's just a, a beautiful story. It's incredibly well written. I love the Muppets. The songs are fantastic. The performances are fantastic. And it's like there's genuine funny bits and I look forward to it every year. I would watch it all year round if it wasn't a Christmas movie. That is a great movie. Uh, absolutely. No argument here. Obviously, I'm a huge Muppets fan. We've talked about this before. It was one of my favorites growing up. And to me, that was a huge part of my childhood, that movie, without question. it's a That's a good one to have. Yeah, I, I really look forward to it, as I say. Love the Christmas Carol story. I always look forward to different variations of it. I feel that story in one form of, or another has to be seen at Christmas. Yep. Last year, I went and saw play with it. One of my honorable mentions here, which the list isn't very long because I tried to keep it really tight, but Scrooged with Bill Murray. Yep. Fantastic. That one I really struggled with not getting into my top five list because it's kind of in the same line of Chevy Chase, like love Chevy Chase, love Bill Murray. He's so good in it. It's funny. It's hilarious. 
Uh, it's got kind of that dark element you get from A Christmas Carol. Mm-hmm. Right on. Very good. Do you have any other honorable mentions? Yeah, I've got a couple. I definitely recommend checking out the Christmas Carol audiobook version read by Hugh Grant that's available for free on Audible. It's not very long, three hours maybe. Definitely check it out. So my honorable mentions, funnily enough, and this kind of plays off that Christmas Carol is The Man Who Invented Christmas, which is about Charles Dickens writing A Christmas Carol. And yes. it's his life at Christmas. He's an incredibly famous, successful author. He's been given this big grant. He needs to write something. And you know the end of uh, The Usual Suspects where he's kind of putting it all together in his mind of all the different pieces of the story? Yep. It's sort of that as an entire film is he will he walks through a graveyard and sees the names that are in there. He goes past like a Marley and Marley or something like that. The characters within it, Scrooge in particular, is sort of a figment of his imagination who keeps popping up and being kind of the darkness in his life. Right. He's trying to find a name for him. There's a big argument with uh, someone over whether Tiny Tim should die or not. I don't know if it's good, but I really like it. Yeah. Uh, it's only a couple of years old. That's on my list. The Night Before with Seth Rogen, Anthony Mackie, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Really enjoy that one. The Grinch with Jim Carrey. Absolutely. Possibly my favorite joke in any Christmas movie when he realizes he's speaking in rhyme. And of course, the incredibly famous line from How the Grinch Stole Christmas is, I must stop Christmas from coming, but how? And he sort of realizes at that point, he goes, I must stop Christmas from coming, but in what way? <laughs> so he does, so he, he doesn't rhyme. So that's on there. That was very close to being in my top five. How Murray Saved Christmas, which is one I watched this year, I really loved. It's about a grumpy deli owner who has to step up and deliver all the presents after Santa Claus is taken out. It's very odd. It's got Jerry Stiller as the voice of Murray got Sean Hayes. It's got some really delightful songs. It was written by one of the main creators of The Simpsons. Cool. Uh, so I think that's available for free on Prime. An Australian film called Crackers, which is essentially Australian Christmas vacation that you cannot find anywhere. Right. Not very good, but love it anyway. And last but not least, if Die Hard's a Christmas movie, then Batman Returns 100% is as well. Absolutely. Takes place at Christmas for sure. That's a fun Batman. I think that one always falls by the wayside. And I think we referenced that back in our Batman podcast that we did. Yep. That's a good one. I also had on there Gremlins. Not every year, but Gremlins ends up on as one of my Christmas rotation ones. It's a great movie, and it certainly takes place around Christmas. That's not a deep cut that anyone needs to go see. If you haven't seen Gremlins, I, I don't know what to tell you. That should probably have sailed for you, but definitely an honorable mention here. Can't argue with that one. Have you got anything else on there? Nope, that's it. Well, that's a pretty comprehensive list. If you're not sure what to watch, by the time this comes out, it'll be after Christmas, but put all of those on your list. Start your prep now. Start scouting for next Christmas now. That's right. Get them while they're on sale. I don't know. Does Prime go on sale? I guess. <laughs> Maybe. Don't know. Another Christmas film that didn't make our list, and We'll get to this at the end of how we feel about it. And that's the 2005 classic Santa's Sleigh. That's the subject of uh, this evening's discussion. Uh, written and directed by David Steinman, currently rated 5.3 out of 10 on IMDb. Stars Bill Goldberg, Douglas Smith, Emily DeRaven and Robert Culp. Santa Claus is actually a demon who lost a bet with an angel. So he becomes the giver of toys and happiness. But when the bet is off, he returns to his evil ways. Dun, dun, dun. Now, the reason we're doing this film is because we were trying to find something to watch 
We just watched Christmas with the Cranks, which is terrible. And we saw this one and put it on because the opening scene was the trailer. We thought, fuck, we have to keep watching this movie. (laughs) Right. And I got to say, I was so pleased that we could do this on this podcast because after the the dirty taste of Varsity Blood, it was good to have what I thought was a good slasher. Yeah, this was what we thought Varsity Blood could be, if you can follow that train of thought. We wanted something that was like a campy slasher movie, and we ended up, we just said the bar was way too low when we hit Varsity Blood. This is definitely in that wheelhouse of slasher, campy, B-movie. And the elevator pitch for this, I know I read the synopsis, is Bill Goldberg, the wrestler, a.k.a. Goldberg, plays Santa Claus. And he's out for revenge. And already you're in. Yeah, it's an easy sell. Should we just dive into it? Yeah, sure. We can talk about the actors and stuff as we go. I kind of figured it would be better to unpack it as we go. And there is a lot to unpack. The film opens, it's sort of a cold open to it. A Christmas meal at a rich family's house. And this is, as I say, this is where I was hooked. You have James Kahn, famously of Elf. Godfather. Godfather. Seven Degrees of Separation in The Godfather with our man Alex Rocco from Home Improvement. Absolutely. Irv Schmeyman. Yep. James Kahn, the nanny Fran Drescher. <laughs> <laughs> uh, were you a big nanny guy? The show The Nanny? No, do you have a big fat woman looking after you when you're a kid? Do you have a big nanny? nanny? Not on rotation in uh, in your house? No, no, not at all. How about you? Incredibly popular in Australia. Like, you cannot understate how popular the nanny is you know we've talked about seinfeld and friends and like those great 90 sitcoms in australia the nanny is at that level really like everyone our age would be able to name like all the characters sing the theme song it was just always on that's wild yeah there were shows that were on just all the time yep you know like you mentioned friends If we go back younger, like the Cosby show was on four times a day, stuff like that was on all the time. The nanny, not so much. It just wasn't, it wasn't like that. No, it was huge. So always a fan of seeing Fran Drescher in something. That's awesome. You've got Chris Kattan of Saturday Night Live, Corky Romano, now celebrity dating show. What do you think of Chris Kattan? Uh, I don't think he's particularly good as an actor. I don't find him particularly funny. I don't find Mango funny. I don't find Mr. Peepers funny. I think he was probably a bit of a sex pest. Um, <laughs> and my second favorite podcast after this one, of course, the Throwback Podcast, has a lot of Chris Kattan content in it uh, because they feel very similar about him. I never liked him. Never liked him. I just didn't find him funny. His little shtick has never been funny to me. What he does in this, I don't find funny. Just something about him. I just, his humor does not mesh with what I find funny. Mango, never liked it. I didn't get it. You cannot touch it with a mango. Yeah, it doesn't work for me. I'm like, all right, he's doing weird voices, fun. Katan's not cutting it. Not cutting it. One of the notes I have here about this scene, and we'll come back to who else is in it, is I never needed to see Mr. Peeper's finger blast the nanny on film, but fuck did we see it at the start of this. <laughs> that elevated really quickly. Oh, yeah. So Fran Drescher's supposed to be the mom, and James Kahn, a.k.a. Sonny Corleone, he's the dad. And then I guess they have three daughters, and Chris Kattan is the husband, but it's a weird situation because he talks to what his wife is, and he's kind of like, what do you want Santa to bring you for Christmas? 
And she's like a faithful husband. Fran Drescher (laughs) laughs and then proceeds to fondle on his leg under the table and he's returning the favor. It was like a really weird moment. It just jumped right into it. James Kahn and Fran Drescher are married in this scene as well. And he goes to say grace and says, dear God, don't let this bird taste like a shoe like it did last year. (laughs) Let it be tender and moist. And Fran Drescher says, moist would be nice. It's called foreplay. (laughs) Right. And James Carden's replies, I don't want to screw the bird. I want to eat it. And again, you're already like, oh yeah, there's something going on here. The other big name actor in this scene is Rebecca Gayhart who was in a relationship with Brett the Rat Ratner, notable director, and I think all-around scumbag these days. His assistant and essentially friend is the writer-director of this film, David Steinman, which is why Brett the Rat Ratner is producer. That's why his partner is involved in this, uh, this opening scene. It's just a very awkward, sexually charged opening scene. Someone else says grace and they say, thank you for not making us poor or Samoan. (laughs) And Chris Catan just sort of like looks and mouths Samoan. And then she's like, "Uh, I pray that the people who don't have enough will work harder. It's like, it's just this (laughs) really weird prayer. And a little side note, almost everyone at the table is Jewish, which I think was like a funny- As far as I know, everyone in this scene is Jewish. James Kahn is definitely, Fran Drescher definitely is, uh, Goldberg definitely is. Funny irony there. They are all Jewish. And in fact, James Kahn and Bill Goldberg are so Jewish, both name-checked in versions of Adam Sandler's The Hanukkah Song. That's true. You're right. And it is currently the fifth night of Hanukkah when we are recording. So, uh, Sameach to everyone out there. And James Kahn's nickname is The Jewish Cowboy. There you go. He was given that nickname. You think it would be The Cowboy. <laughs> hey! <laughs> Drum. Little klezmer. <laughs> At this point... Bill Goldberg, Santa, but in my notes, I've just called him Santa the entire time. Uh, Santa bursts out of the chimney and starts fucking shit up. Beth, say grace. Dear Lord, thank you for the bountiful food that you've provided for us and that our loving family can be together this Christmas. Also, thank you for not making us poor or Samoan. Thank you for Maxim Pharmaceuticals, the latest M class, First person or the first thing to die in this film is the dog. Yep. He kicks across the room into a ceiling fan. There's some really good deaths in this scene. Santa scares one of the girls off her chair. She falls on a spike and that impales her. Blows fire and sets Fran Drescher on fire, then drowns her in wassail. Pulls the star off the tree and uses it like a ninja star. Yep. And he chokes James Kahn with the turkey. And I think Catan just kind of cops it. Catan jumps up and is like, you want a piece of me? And does this like little karate thing again. Not funny. At all. No. Not funny at all. And then Goldberg Santa just kicks him 
into a corner shelf, but then you see blood coming out of his head or something. So you know he's dead. This is just crazy. This is a fantastic opening to a film. It is a fantastic opening to the film. And it's probably my favorite part of the film. We saw it in the trailer. It's just the dialogue between the actors. Some of the most famous actors throughout the whole movie are right in that scene. Yep. And it's good. It moves quick. The deaths are great. Yeah, I like it. You can definitely look it up on YouTube. I think it's about five minutes long. I wholeheartedly recommend if you are listening to this, go and have a look at it. From there, it rolls into the opening titles and it's the lore of the movie. I like when a movie does that. Illustrations. Obviously, I hadn't seen it at the time. The first time I watched it, going back to watch it again for the show, I was like, oh, I get what's happening here. These are all the story beats of what the story is. And we'll kind of come to that a little bit later, I think, when it's revealed within the film. The film itself is not based in the little room with all the rich people. It's based in a place called Hell Township, which is very clearly Canada. Has to be. It is super Canadian. A lot of Canada. There's a place called Hell in Norway. If you look it up on Wikipedia, the photo says... Here is a sign on the highway to hell. I did not know that. The highway to hell itself is uh, Canning Highway in Perth, Western Australia, my hometown. Maybe a story for another episode. ACDC did write it about that. But there is also a place in Michigan, also home of the Tailors of Home Improvement fame, Uh called Hell. I went onto their website, currently 38 degrees Fahrenheit, overclassed with clouds. There's a lot of memes on here. It's like, it reads like a MySpace page. The official website of hell in Michigan says more people tell you to go to our town than anywhere else on earth (laughs) they did a lot of that in this movie as well you'll see like a lot of signs that have little phrases like that there was something on the cop's car i forget what it was i think they said something about going to hell so they do that a lot in this i mean every line in this is a pun and we'll we'll come back to that let me show you you can go to their website you can buy a piece of hell Oh, they're opening a barbecue restaurant soon. I'd go there for that. Oh, yeah. You can get your ashes scattered in hell. You can buy a gift pack from Damnation University, which has Damn You written on it. You can become the mayor of hell for an hour or for a day. And truth be told, I was going to surprise you with an hour as the mayor of hell. But it was just not financially worthwhile (laughs) for what is essentially a five second bit. (laughs) Sentiment counts. So they really leaned into that turn there with damnation you. Yep. You get married in hell. Wild. You can send mail from hell and they burn and singe every piece of mail. (laughs) So check it out. If you are looking for somewhere different to go. Sounds like a okay vacation. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we've talked about doing outside broadcasts previously. Maybe the second one, if the first one goes well, we'll go to hell. Broadcasting from hell. I like it. Oh yeah, me too. The film itself opens on, or the, the real part of the film, opens on a deli with our hero, Nicholas Yuleson. You see what they did there? Mm-hmm. Douglas Smith being chewed out by a grumpy old woman. Mean, mean old woman. The deli is run by Saul Rubinek, a notable actor. You would know him from things. He's Donnie, Daphne's fiance in Frasier. Had a feeling you'd mention Frasier. Also, Curb Your Enthusiasm, which we've mentioned. He was in True Romance which is one that I often bring up a lot. That's my favorite guy romance movie with Christian Slater and Patricia Arquette. But yeah, he's been in a ton of stuff. Probably outside of James Caan. He's probably been in the most stuff. He's just one of the great that guys. It definitely shows up in Curb. And you know what else he's in? Family Man, which I mentioned earlier. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. He works with Nicolas Cage. Alan. Alan! That's exactly the sort of role he would play in most things. Yeah, never the main guy. A pretty good supporting character, though. Yep. 
The grumpy old woman haggles over the price of a roast beef sandwich, her fun IMDB. Fact says that she actually shortchanges him when she pays, not that interesting. She demands to be wished a Merry Christmas after uh, Saul Rubinek, which is their happy holidays. In a Jewish deli, <laughs> demands to be wished Merry Christmas. She says, thank you and go fuck yourself, and then calls our lead female, Mary Mac McKenzie, played by Australia's own Emily DeRaven uh, of Lost fame. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's, uh, she's a beaut, that one. Calls her a fucking whore. Yes, she does. There you go. And uh, have a very happy holiday there, Mrs. Tubb. Don't use that political language shit with me. It's Christmas. Wish me Merry Christmas. I'm sorry. Merry Christmas, Mrs. Talbot. Thank you. And go fuck yourself. What a fucking whore. What a pleasant lady. Funny enough, I didn't even mention this. Emily D. Raven is in Lost, and so is Saul Rubinick. He's in Lost, too. Guy's in everything. You ever seen a movie? Saul Rubinick's in it. Isn't is everything. He wishes her a happy holiday. And then she says, don't use that political language with me. It's Christmas. Say Merry Christmas. This was in 2005. And I vaguely remember that being a thing. People moving from saying Merry Christmas to happy holidays. And then some people just getting like really upset with it. It's Christmas. I'm going to say Merry Christmas. Do you remember that at all? Absolutely do. This whole war on Christmas is the ultimate imagined scenario that doesn't happen. I don't see why you would want to offend someone. Wishing people happy holidays is fantastic because there are a lot of holidays this time of year. For sure. There is Christmas, there is Hanukkah, there is Kwanzaa, there is Festivus. For the rest of us. We are recording it on Festivus as it is now. There are so right. many holidays. Happy holidays is you're being nice. You're basically wishing them a Merry Christmas. It's a cover-all blanket that's all-inclusive. There's really not a big deal about it, but I remember around this time frame, particularly 2005, you got to think this was pre-iPhone era. To put how long ago 2005 was mentally, it was the year YouTube came out and Reddit launched. Wow. I don't really think it's that far away. Oh, and a seven degrees of separation. That's the year that Tom Cruise jumped on Oprah's couch. Katie! Oh. <laughs> it's a seven degrees to our Jerry Maguire podcast. It is so easy that if you don't celebrate Christmas and someone wishes you Merry Christmas, you go, thanks very much. <laughs> and then you go on with the rest of your day. You don't get offended by it. It's also so easy if someone says, happy holidays, to reply, thanks very much, or you too. And then you go on with your day. Yep. You're not offended. No one's trying to stop you from celebrating what you want to celebrate. I get offended by everything. <laughs> Anyway, if you don't like this old woman and her political correctness gone mad, well, she's driving home and she gets chased down by Santa, who has a big fucking bison pulling his sleigh, and he runs her off the road. Before saying, move, bitch, get out the way, I guess has to be a, a reference to the Ludacris song. I'm sure it is. No, it 100%. Every single one of Goldberg's lines in this is like a one-liner or a pun, and they're sort of late era James Bond bad, or that scene in Austin Powers where they're like he's like riffing on one-liners. Horrible time to lose one's head. Right. He'll never be the head of a major corporation. They're like, right. He one of says, move, bitch, get out of the way, which would have been around this time. Yep. If not earlier. That's 2001, move, bitch. I was like, that's Sid's ringtone on Skins, and I was watching Skins around this time. Yeah, within a four-year period, so I'm sure people played it a lot, and- it seems like the level of joke that would hit this kind of movie in a four-year period. Yep. Without getting too far into this, sort of generally, if you'd have seen this in 2005, 2006, how would you have felt about it? I probably would have liked it more. 
I don't know how I would feel about it. It's hard to throw myself back there. I'm kind of the same. I think I would have liked it maybe more, but for different reasons. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I could see this being like a one that I would be, oh, you got to watch this every year. And people who kind of weren't in will be like, this is terrible. One of the other things that kind of stands out about this era, and my mates and I still do that. Do you ever do that, the play like the finger circle game? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Where you make the okay symbol with your hands and then you just get someone to look at it. And they play that in this. As I say, my friends and I still do it. I did it to a friend of mine at the wedding I was at recently. Whilst I was standing up there, I caught his eye and, and tried to get him. What does annoy me, I think it happens three times in this. And two of those three times, we used to play below waist level. Yep. He's like putting it in her face and she does the classic, you put your finger in the hole, then you get to, the to punch. punch him back. Yep. We always did below the waist too. It was part of the rules. Clearly they play it different in hell. <laughs> That's Mac and Nick, the couple in this, or I suppose the couple, they end up becoming a couple, spoiler alert. We get the first glimpse of the sort of the humor we're going to get in this when they jump into a car, switch on the radio and you hear the radio disc jockey say, lock it in and jerk your knob off. <laughs> You've got to tune to the great one. 99 FM. So lock it in and jerk your knob off. Hell's best hip-hop station. 99 FM's Christmas Eve forecast calls for cold, cold, cold temperatures. So throw another Yule log on the fire. Near freezing in hell and pretty much the same can be expected for those of you planning on rocking out with Hell's Bells or attending the animals. There is an interesting scene. Tell me if you saw this. So the lovely Emily D. Raven was in the car and she was waiting for Nicholas, played by Douglas Smith, and she starts rubbing her gums. Mm. And I actually had to rewind it. I'm like, what is she doing? Is she doing cocaine or something? Like, what is that? And I rewound it. What? What? Is it going to be this kind of movie? She actually took toothpaste and rubbed it on her teeth and gums and then spit out the window. Yep. Super quick. And I'm like, what is happening? And that that's it. It kind of shocked me. She's really into him. It's very much like a brother-sister relationship going his way. She's really into him. Didn't notice the toothpaste part, but I did assume that's what she was doing. Because she's driving him home in closed space, wants to get in that, that space for a bit of smoochy smoochy. They're talking on the drive home. You don't care too much for Christmas, do you? I've never had much reason to. Why? I don't know, it's always disappointing. Like, I'd want an Optimus Prime or a Castle Grayskull, and I'd always end up with a stupid mini-bake oven or something. He's like, I don't really like Christmas. I never got the presents I want. Now, he says that he always wanted a Castle Grayskull or Optimus Prime. The kid is supposed to be my age, an equivalent my age at the time. These are like 80s toys. <laughs> right. 2005, what do you want? Like a 15-year-old. But not the director and writer's age, so. Hey, what are kids like? Eh, fucking, uh, the Transformers. Well, you know, what's interesting is Emily D. Raven was born in 1981. So when she was playing this, she was actually like 24. Her age group in that range, you know True. what I mean? So, little side note there. It's also, um, at time of recording, her birthday next week. So happy birthday, Emily D. Raven. Happy birthday. You're welcome to come on the podcast anytime you want. We'll talk about like, growing up in country Victoria. Mac drops Nick off at home and we see Nick unlocking a whole bunch of locks and hiding keys, gets inside. There's an alarm and already like, oh, there's something going on. And he gets startled by something. So he goes searching throughout his house and wouldn't you know it, he gets surprised downstairs by his grandfather. Yeah. The crazy old grandpa. Crazy. And his grandfather, they introduce very quickly, is he's an inventor. Yep. 
which again is a very 80s theme. Hmm. So back to the future. Yeah, exactly. Back to the future with Doc. Jump back to Gremlins, which I mentioned earlier as a Christmas movie favorite. Dad was an inventor in that. You had Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. You just had all these movies where the inventor for the father or grandfather, kind of a common theme. And then this yep. pulls back to that. I think. Oh, I think this could be, it's a toss up between this and another scene for the best football moment of the film. Nick is wearing a SWNDSU like pullover. It's yeah. not a jersey. It's like a hoodie with that. The fighting insurance salesman, the team's mascot. Joshum is the uh, the local high school, the local football team. Right. And that's how little football there is in this, that that might be the number one football moment. Yeah, probably. You know, I couldn't even really pull one. I had it on my list to check out while I watched it. At the end, I was like, I just don't think that there was any football in this. So that might be the one. I think that could be the one and only there. Now you're right. Nick's grandfather is an inventor. He invents a nutcracker gun. And already you're like, that's Chekhov's nutcracker gun. That's coming back later. And it absolutely does. Uh, yeah. Spoiler alert. Nick's grandfather tells him about the secret bunker he's built under the house. The assumption is that Nick's lived with this guy for quite some time. Did he not notice this being built? Like, it's quite a fancy bunker. There would have needed to be, like, outside help coming in to do this. Yeah. For sure. Giant metal door that you got to kind of like twist to get it like a safe door. Mm -hmm. Quite a big thing. But he is an inventor. I don't know. You can kind of write off when they make a character an inventor that they can just do anything. Really? Yep. Uh, meanwhile, as this is happening, Santa is collecting money on the street as an actual Santa, a bit like one of those Salvation Army Santas, and gets accosted by a thug. This guy's straight out of the 1980s as well. Yep. And Santa, who's sucking on a candy cane, kills the guy with a sharpened candy cane, which is a shout out to Murderville Christmas special. Nice. For anyone who's watched that. And Gorilla presses him into a dumpster. So already we've had our first wrestling move from Goldberg. Yeah. I think now's as good a time as any to talk about Bill Goldberg. Yeah, let's do it. Were you a big wrestling guy in the 90s? You know, I wasn't. I kind of missed that. I had a lot of friends that were into it during that surging era. It just, it wasn't me. How about you? No, not really, but you're right. It, we grew up in that kind of attitude era with Goldberg was the face of WCW. You had The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin. I think Brett the Hitman Hart was still running around. It was maybe the early days of Chris Jericho. A little fun fact, mm -hmm. uh, The Rock is the highest paid actor in Hollywood. I wouldn't think so, but he has the highest movie bill. I would go out on a limb and say he's not made that many good films either. He's always the same to me. I don't have a problem with The Rock. I know some people really like him. I kind of nothing him. He's good for what he does. I think as an actor, though, I find it a little weird. If you look at acting as a talent, I just think that there's a lot better actors that should get paid more. But I know people that really like him, you know, so that's that's cool. I have no problem with him. He's the rock. If you smell what the rock is cooking. Don't beat us up, please. Yeah, 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 please don't. He's an incredible brand. He's super charismatic. He's hard to dislike, but it'd be nice to see him kind of do something that isn't just play himself in a movie. Anyway, so yeah, Goldberg was writing that. He was the face of WCW going up against, as we're talking about, Guys that we will cover on this, The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin, that'll come up again, no doubt, because they all have either been in football movies or connections to football. I mean, The Rock, not only the star of Ballers, but Stone Cold is in The Longest Yard. Yeah. And a bunch of other things. The Rock's in Gridiron Gang. So, Bill Goldberg, the son of Jewish immigrants, father was an OBGYN. 
who graduated from Harvard and Johns Hopkins. Mother was a classical violinist who created an award-winning orchid she named after Goldberg. So pretty typical wrestling upbringing. Yeah, yeah. Talked about already, he's mentioned as a, a Jewish person in the Hanukkah song. He's very open about his religion and wanting to be a role model for, for Jewish people. Wouldn't wrestle on the Jewish high holidays mm. and said, he, I wanted to give the Jewish public someone to hold on to, someone as a positive role model that didn't go out and cuss, didn't go out and cheat, someone to look up to, which is, uh, which is pretty cool. Yeah, he's a stand-up guy. Yeah. Really is. Yeah, stand-up very fucking tall. <laughs> yeah, he's a stand-up three guys. He's huge. Now, we're talking about him because he went to the University of Georgia, played college football for the Georgia Bulldogs, was a defensive tackle. Yep. Taken by the LA Rams in the 11th round of the 1990 NFL draft, was the 301st overall selection. Yes, he was. Played for the LA Rams in 1990, followed by a stint with the Sacramento Gold Miners in the Canadian Football League in 1992. Played for the Atlanta Falcons between 92 and 1994, cut from the Falcons in 95. And the then brand new expansion team, Carolina Panthers, picked him up in the 1995 expansion draft. And he was the first player ever to be cut by the Carolina Panthers. He never played, never played a snap for him. It is neat that he was drafted and he wasn't a legendary football player, but his talents made him legendary elsewhere in wrestling. And that's what he was meant to do. It is cool that he played football, but he was born to do what he did, become a wrestler and have a good brand like that. Yep. He's a nice guy. He had a degree in psychology. He's a smart guy. He was inducted into the National Jewish Sports Hall of Fame in 2010. So Mazel Tov there. That'd be a quick half hour. <laughs> yeah. Look through all of that. It's just Goldberg, Sandy Koufax, and uh, Julian Edelman. <laughs> yeah. He's in the WWE Hall of Fame as well. As he should be. I know it's sort of probably disingenuous to say this given the nature of professional wrestling. Was world champion, world heavyweight champion, both with the WWE and WCW, which obviously you need to have a certain level of popularity for them to write that into your character. According to people who are sort of more in the know of the wrestling than me, not a great performer wrestling-wise, but a very good wrestler. Wait, wait, wait. Like very imposing. Are you, are you saying that wrestling is not real? Yeah, wrestling has a lot. In common with, with Santa Claus. Wait, whoa, whoa, Santa's not real? Santa's magic! <laughs> you ever seen the um the video of the guy like breaking down in tears talking <laughs> no. to the wrestlers? No. He's like, oh, it's real to me, damn it. <laughs> oh, everybody's gotta have their thing. He is a cat guy. I kind of question that. He's got three cats, Mo, Larry, and Curly. That's my little fun fact I have. <laughs> but that's cool. If you're going to have three cats, I like a theme with animals. I always think it's fun when people do that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Until like one of them dies and you get another one and you're left, you know, Jerry and George turns into George and Grace. I guess you could have Shep and then and then you're, <laughs> then you're done. Or you have to replace Curly and you're stuck with three cats until the day you die. Because you just have to keep cycling them in. Or you put them all in a sack and throw them in a river. That's not how I feel about cats generally. Also won the World Bowl with the Sacramento Surge. Like not many people could say that. Yeah. So good for him. And credited with inventing the spear, which when you look at it, not unlike a pass rush move. Yeah. Sort of starts low in three point stance and just bang into the midriff. It is a violent looking move. It is. And he does it well. He can catapult himself horizontal into another human which is wild to watch. Like when you see football, they're so close to each other normally that it's not much of a thing. But when he does it, it's just flies for a moment. It looks hardcore. And we get to see that in this movie, which we'll get to. 
we do. And that's what I alluded to is the, the best football player in the film, his pass rush. And we'll, we'll talk about that when we get to it. What did you think of him generally in this film? I think he was good for his character. Yep. Yeah, he's obviously a big, giant force. He played the role well, kind of like evil <laughs> Santa that attacked everyone. But he was very intimidating, which isn't hard for him, I'm sure. I liked him a lot. How about you? Didn't ask him to do a lot, but I thought what he had to do, he was fine in. It was a lot like when you get a non-actor on SNL and it's all kind of happening around them and they just kind of have to stand on the right mark and hit their lines at the right time. And I think he sort of sells the big guy. He's not quite as good as uh, Richard Keel in Happy Gilmore. Right. But it's that same kind of vibe of that, like, and you can count on me waiting for you in the parking lot. <laughs> right. And as you mentioned, they wrote around it. They wrote it for him. That's, I think, a lot of why they have these one-liners in the movie. He doesn't have a full dialogue. It's really one line, kill, and then he's off screen. Yep. And they do that for most of the movie. Near the end, there's some parts where he had some more, some of the lines are really cheesy, which that's up to you whether you like that or not. They wrote to his acting level, I think. And I thought as bad as a lot of the jokes and the puns were, I thought he sold them pretty well. It was almost as though that was his shtick and he was making jokes for himself. And that was the humor that he found funny. Right. Agreed. Because obviously he's saying these lines after he's killed the person. So they're for no one but himself. Yep. Much like when James Bond makes those jokes as well. There's never anyone else around to uh, to hear them most of the time. It's time for you to chill out. <laughs> Speaking of which, when you think of James Bond, everyone in the world, you can only think of one James Bond. Who do you think of? Not to put you on the spot, but who's your guy? George Lazenby. Stop it. <laughs> I'm quitting the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Repping the Australians. Uh, for me, it's Pierce Brosnan. Is it? I don't know if we've had this conversation before. We haven't. I don't think Bond's come up on the on the podcast before. Sean Connery is obviously the definitive. That's mine. Scotland forever. I think Daniel Craig's probably the best actor to play Bond. I like the Daniel Craig. For me, it's still Sean Connery. I think he's like the, the elite of the elite. For me, he's the cream of the crop when it comes to James Bond. Got it right away. Some of the other ones get too pretty. Like Pierce Brosnan was really mm. like a pretty man. But he wasn't very tough to me. Roger Moore's the same. I like Roger Moore a lot. I like a lot of the James Bond movies that Roger Moore did. But Sean Connery had that really good balance of just being like a tough dude and also mm. a ladies' man. He's like a man's man. Mm. Pushy. Yes, Sean Connery is a ladies' man. <laughs> I must be dreaming. Miss Moneypenny, this should serve as no significant problem. <laughs> but when they brought Daniel Craig back in, in my mind, that same thing. He's not your classically good-looking dude. Of course, he's ripped. Yeah, I'm sure he has no problem with the ladies whatsoever. But he was like that tough Bond. And I always like that about Sean Connery. Yeah, see, I like the the suaveness of Pierce Brosnan. I suppose it ties into as well, like growing up with Goldeneye, uh, the movie and the game. When I think of James Bond, he's the one that I see in my mind, first of all, is, is that Goldeneye era Brosnan. None of his other films are that good, but... But it's that one. Um, knock, knock. Who's there? Dishes. Dishes who? Uh, dishes Sean Connery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm pulling that clip. I wonder if Connery will ever come up again on this. We'll, uh, I we'll hope have to so. dive into it. Sean Connery's not in this. Uh, we'll find something. Maybe in the new year we'll do some. So back in the world of the film, Nick confronts his grandfather about not liking Christmas. His grandfather just says he doesn't like Santa. He's not a lovable role model. Why would you commercialize him? His grandfather sits him down and recounts within the auspices of the show what the true story of Christmas is. And he reads from the Book of Klaus that looks like the Necronomicon. 
and even references the Necronomicon in there. That might have been where I got it from. And the story here is that there was a second Immaculate Conception, which was between Satan and the Virgin Erica. I tell you what, you haven't met anyone called Erica. She's not a virgin. (laughs) To give birth to their son, Santa. On the anniversary of Santa's birth, that became known as the Day of Slayings. And at this time on the Day of Slayings, the Christians would hold a Christ Mass. See what he's done there? Pray for safety. Clever. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And then they're interrupted by Mary, who brings around freshly shot Wolverine (laughs) as a, a peace offering for Grandpa. At that scene, Mary comes over. She gets him a gift that he talked about that he wanted in the car. He said he wanted a Transformer. It's a gun that transforms. He's like, you got me a gun. He doesn't just say you got me a gun. He says, you fucking retarded. He does say that. Good old 2005. (laughs) It's sort of a a bit like the Wayne's World. I don't have one gun. She gives him a gun rack. Why a gun (laughs) rack? I don't even own a gun. (laughs) Let alone many guns that would necessitate an entire rack. (laughs) (laughs) So he, he realizes the gun is, I think it's Megatron. Shout out Calvin Johnson if you're listening who was the gun. There's some interesting backstory to that if you watch the toys that made us on Netflix. But when he realizes a Transformer, he's not just happy with it. He says, I'm as happy as a Make-A-Wish kid. Yeah, some of the lines during that dialogue. I thought that that was in bad taste. There's a lot of this film that I would say is in bad taste. But on that sort of wrestler note, John Cena has done more Make-A-Wish visits than anyone else in history. No kidding. John Cena. I think Make-A-Wish is maybe the best organization out there. Their whole concept is really cool. Kids who are sick, their wishes and dreams come true. That is such a rad idea, whoever came up with that and continues to do it. So that's why I was just like, oh, dude, that's important. It reminds me of, I have a family member who, you know, those phrases where it's like, is the Pope a Catholic? Does a bear shit in the woods? That sort of thing. His go-to is... Did Casey Anthony kill her kid? Trying to just be Johnny Edgelord over there. Right. It's not funny just because you're talking about dead babies and kids with cancer. Right, right. But this was the era for it of like, there's nothing funnier than a dead baby joke. Oh, how many babies does it take to tile the floor? Depends how thin you slice them. <laughs> yeah, that was the time for that. Yeah. Jumping back. So she brings him this super thoughtful gift and they're hanging out. The grandfather says some something off the wall and he's like, you probably think he's crazy. And she very coolly is like, I don't think he's crazy. Maybe a little odd. And then he just goes off on her. Yeah. Insulting her dad. You think he's bananas, don't you? No. Bananas. A little odd, but not bananas. A little odd? You want to talk about a little odd? Odd is being a member of the Rifle of the Month Club. Odd is when all the available wall space in your house is covered with the head of an endangered or extinct animal. Odd is someone's father I know. I'm sorry, Nicholas. I'm sorry I even came over here tonight. Yeah. You got my number. Call me when you're ready for a more mature relationship. To be honest, I question it, but I think I'm going to throw my flag on just this relationship. Flag on the play. The idea that Emily D. Raven is into you, obviously into you, and she's giving you ride homes and she's buying you thoughtful gifts, and even responding to your obviously crazy grandfather is, eh, he's a little odd. Douglas Smith, she's way out of your league, man. Emily Raven is extremely attractive. 
<laughs> and Douglas Smith, you're not bad, you're, but you're just a guy. There is no way in any world, if she was coming on to him that strong, that he would just be that big of a doofus. The only explanation is that they're the only two people of about the same age in the entire town. Yep. And so he can play fast and loose with the manners. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. And I did question it. I do have another thing with a flag that I'll bring up later, but it was just kind of frustrating. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And then later in the movie, pushing her through a window and she's like, you're going to have to push from the top. Am I going to have to make every move in this relationship? <laughs> I'm sitting there thinking, oh man, Ugh, youth is wasted on the young. And she uh, grabs his hands and, and puts it on her boobs. Yahtzee. Yahtzee indeed. We cut back to Santa's adventure now. First of all, we see a priest who is giving a sermon about giving to charity and passing around the collection plate and don't just give small change, give notes, like really putting it on. Yeah. And we follow him and we follow Santa to the local strip club called Gold Diggers. And Santa follows him in after pulling a wrestling move on the bouncer. I probably thought uh, this was the best scene in the film. The strip club? The strip club. We have boobs. Chuck. We have really good deaths. Chuck. We have interesting lines. Yep. And deep cut, we have, there is an awesome song by an Australian band called Machine Gun Fellatio playing called Pussy Town. Oh, there it is. There it is. It is an absolute banger. I will not do a dramatic reading from Pussytown. However, uh, the chorus goes, I'm going down, 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 down to Pussytown. Um, <laughs> I think this might have been filmed in an actual strip club. I think so too. I don't think any kind of bar or restaurant should look like the way this place looked. It was definitely a strip club. We wanted to have a thing where we pointed out our favorite deaths. We do that with our slasher films or our horror movies. And my favorite death is in this this part is your favorite death in here as well it's a toss-up between this one and one in a later scene what's the toss-up for this one which one did you like the guy getting electrocuted on the stripper pole yep that was it goldberg santa bursts into the door a stripper walks by they're all topless by the way he grabs one dips her and kisses her and then puts her back up and then nods to mistletoe above him and, and she's kind of got like a little smirk yeah. after he nods to the mystery. She's like, of course. She seems cool with it. I think you've missed the crucial part of that is that he walks in and he goes, ho, ho, hoes. <laughs> yeah. She seems honestly fine with it, but these bouncers are going to go kill him. It escalates very, very quickly. He just goes right into killing these guys. Yep. The first one he pushes into another guy holding a knife. Uh, the second one, I think he does with a... Um, it's like a pickaxe or something. Yeah, it's like, yeah, something. And the last one, he rips the stripper pole down. But before he does, he takes cleaner, <laughs> sprays it, and wipes it down. 
then rips it out of the ground. And you think he's going to just crush this dude's head or something. Essentially, what he does is... He sort of like pulls him like uh, Little John in Robin Hood Men in Tights. Does like a bit of a... Right. We don't get no tolls, we don't eat no rolls kind of like staff fighting. He lets go and the guy has the pull and he just kicks it up into the light, which electrocutes the guy. I thought it was certainly the most clever of the killings in this. Yep. And then he sets the strip club ablaze. And before he says it, he goes naughty and then just blows a bunch of fire out. Yeah, he pulls out a lump of coal and sets it on fire and then there it is. Uh, burns it down. You did miss there's a stripper who's on a trapeze and he basically buries his head between her legs. <laughs> like comes back for that and sort of gives her a bit of like a how's your father kind of look as well. You're right. I thought it was the funniest part is a stripper slides down the pole. He goes to grab it and is kind of taken aback and then gets out the spray and wipe, wipes it down before ripping it out. I thought that was a very funny joke. Better jokes in the movie for sure. I don't know if we mentioned this as well. The priest is in there using the money from the collection plate at the strip club. He manages to escape the fire. So we now cut back to Nick's grandfather's house. The grandfather disappears somewhere and Nick returns to the Book of Klaus. And I thought this part was really cool. It shows the rest of the story of Santa and the angel in claymation. Yeah. It was a bit sort of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Year Without Santa. Good fun. It was very on point for a Christmas movie. I also thought it was a bit sort of, um, I don't know how the timeline lines up here, Primus's film clip for their cover of The Devil Went Down to Georgia because the sort of the conceit of it is a reverse devil went down to Georgia in that it's the angel betting that the devil can't beat him. And the bet they have is they essentially have a game of curling. Yep. And if the angel can land his stone closer to the hole without it going in, Santa has to be good for a thousand years and turn Christmas, the day of slayings, into a time of joy and happiness. And if he loses, then the angel is sent to hell for all damnation. Also, just a side note, the angel turned himself into a man. Mm. So Santa thought he was a human. Little trickery going on there. But yep. the angel obviously wins. Gives him a bit of, I told you once, you son of a bitch, I'm the best there's ever been. Yep. And it turns out that it's exactly a thousand years since this bet, which is why Santa's back ripping up Hell Township. So the next day, Christmas Day starts, a view into a random family's house. They're very crude, very crass. You get the two kids, I uh, can't wait to see what shit we've got. Can we open our motherfucking presents now? <laughs> yeah. uh, the presents explode in their face. The mother's like, come on, angels, blah, blah, blah. And these kids are just <laughs> cursing up a storm. And no one notices except for the grandmother. You could just see her face being like she's horrified by the way these kids are talking. Um, and then, as you say, they open the presents and they explode. And then the grandma, who's horrified, says, fuck. <laughs> yeah. Angels, I think Santa has left you some surprises. I can't wait to see the shit we got. Can we open our motherfucking presents now? Of course. Go ahead, kid. Let's see what Santa got you. Fuck. It was a very random scene. It made me laugh. So there's that for whatever that's worth. Yeah. And I suppose the whole, the whole thing was that Santa, aside from tearing up the town, had actually delivered presents that night as well. Right. Exactly. We go from that scene to the priest in church, asking people to pray for the victims of the incident at the local eyesore that is a blight on the town. He's really like laying it on thick. 
Right. Did you get the names of the strippers? I did. Do you want to read them off? I got Crystal Candy. And then I didn't hear the second one, but the last two are Dixie Wrecked and Tess Tickler. And after each one, he says it, he looks around. It was very that concept of the classic names that make up dirty jokes, like the Bendovers and the Seymour Butts and the Mo Lesters, the Jack Meehoff. <laughs> hey, would you blow me? Yeah, exactly. And your favorite defensive back, Dick Felt. <laughs> well, there was... Um... <laughs> Who am I thinking of? I don't know. There's a guy in the NFL with a real funny name. I know of Dick Felt. There was a baseball player, an outfielder in the 70s and 80s. His name was Rusty Kuntz. No <laughs> lie. Russell J. K-U-N-T-Z. And he went by Rusty. And that was like a huge joke. All his baseball cards said Rusty Kuntz. That's great. There used to be a guy in the AFL called Willie Dick, which when you're a kid's quite funny. Funny. Home improvement, a little seven degrees of separation. The director was named Peter Boners. <laughs> so again, as a child, or maybe perhaps as a grown man. Still funny. Funny names. Yeah. Boners hard not to laugh at. We cut from the church back to the deli from the start being run by uh, Donnie from Frasier and Santa's banging on the window. The guy's like, come on, man, it's Christmas, go away. I don't know why he's there, the deli owner. It's Christmas, you're closed. Yep. And Santa smashes the glass, goes in, into the deli. Donnie starts flinging dreidels at him. Little mini dreidels. Somehow smashing entire panes of glass. And Santa dives through the deli counter using the spear. His the Goldberg spear. Goldberg's iconic wrestling move. Yep. And I thought that was the other option as the best football play yeah. is him spearing through the deli counter. Looked good. Good looking scene. He goes through both ends of the glass over the meat doing the whole spear thing. And you could see the, the Goldberg force there. He goes right yep. into Saul. And Saul, Do Donnie, I've just written him down as Donnie in here, uh, holds up his Star of David to try and keep him away. But Santa, having none of it, picks up his menorah and shoves it through his throat and leaves him hanging on the wall. And as he's leaving, he immediately encounters a group of Orthodox Jews who are clearly just put after this scene to show that it's not anti-Semitic. Yeah, I guess so. Because he just leaves them. They both kind of give each other the stink eye and he just walks by. Guess that was it. Saul's clearly Jewish. He has like a little jar of dreidels. He's got the Star of David on. He has a menorah on his thing. So there were, as we mentioned earlier, there was a lot of Jewish jokes in here. But most of the cast, the writers, everyone was Jewish. So it's not anti-Semitic, I guess, in that sense. That's why I thought like it's just they've put this in because it's very clearly then it's not Right. It's not a hate crime. Um, he's got no problem with the Jews. It's the, the people he doesn't like. And the cop that shows up afterwards, there was a lot of Jewish jokes that happened there. It's just not kosher in here. <laughs> and then he says, grab that group of Amish people outside and take them down to the station. What in hell do we have here? Oh, looks like someone punched out Mr. Green's Festival Alliance. Hey, Shlomo there said he saw someone in a Santa suit outside the store. A Santa suit? Is that what he said? Are you sure? Something just isn't kosher here. We're taking you down to the station for a little questioning. Potts, grab that Amish group outside, too. Come on, kid. All right, watch your head there, you skeck. Yeah, I did write down the something just isn't kosher here. I thought that was quite funny. Yeah. Uh, it being a kosher deli. And he also says, looks like someone punched out Mr. Green's Festival of Lights. Yeah, I gotta cram all the jokes right into that one little section there. <laughs> yeah. 
Nicholas is at a gas station where the guy working at the gas station is uh, Tom Tiny Lister, who's just moved to town. He says there's too much damn violence in the hood. That is Debo from Friday. Yeah, I think that's where most people know. Is him. it Debo from Friday? Boys in the Hood? No, it's Debo from Friday. Friday. Yep. He's the one he knocks out at the end, rides around on the little bike that he stole. Debo, before he was Debo in Friday, he was also a pro wrestler in the WWE named Zeus. Yep. So I think that there was definitely a throw there. Like, I've seen Friday a bunch. It's a great movie. I was trying to see if there was a reference to Friday. I think they were trying to do a connection there. I don't know what song was playing in the background. Yeah, it was pretty clearly just a reference to Friday. Yep. Shout as well to Debo Samuel. Heal up quick. Young Prince. He's one of those great that guys shows up in a bunch of stuff. He's in Austin Powers. He's in Little Nicky. Just a massive intimidating yeah. dude. Yep. He's in The Dark Knight. He is? Who is he in The Dark Knight? I don't remember. Tattooed Prisoner. Oh, yeah. You know who he is in The Dark Knight? When the Joker gives both boats the bombs to set off, he's on the prisoner boat and he takes it away saying he's going to do it and basically throws a trigger out the window. That was him. Yeah, that's right. That's what I was going to say. I'm pretty sure that that's who he was as well. But he's a, he's been in you know a bunch of movies, a bunch of TV. He was in Webster as a football player. Maybe we'll come back to him. I'm sure he'll pop up. He was in a, a TV show called First and Ten. Cool. Coolsies. Sports comedy starring Delta Burke, OJ Simpson, Shannon Tweed, wife of Gene Simmons. That's right. Softcore porn star, aka wife. 100%. Yeah, we are definitely going to come back to this. So yeah, Nick races to the deli. He pulls the menorah or goes to pull the menorah out of Donnie's throat. And he says, yes, Nicholas, there is a Santa Claus. That is the second time they reference, yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus in this film. Yep. Uh, Goldberg says it in the opening as well. Never seen it. Me neither. No. Didn't land with me, but hey, something for everyone, right? I'm aware of it. It exists. Nick gets taken to the police station by the the police. He's stuck in the back with all the uh, Orthodox Jews on the way there. I was going to do a little bit of a soft flag there because the cops show up and basically this dude was just killed. They don't once think it's Nicholas at all. Never implied that he did anything wrong at all. They didn't cuff him or anything, which seemed pretty unrealistic to me. But for the sake of the movie, I guess they just gapped it. Yep. Took him down to the police station and at the police station, he speaks to Sergeant Dick Zucker. Yeah. The police captain, Captain Cock. C-A-U-L-K. But you get the joke. So real highbrow jokes. And they kept referencing Captain Cock for the rest of it. Like Nicholas would be like, he sucks. And Mary would be like, Cock? Like right one <laughs> after the other. Yep. Nick is questioned about his involvement, tells the police captain who's dressed as Santa Claus the truth about Santa. Obviously the police don't believe him and Nick leaves. Santa shows up at the police station and fucks shit up there. Yep. He tasers Captain Cock in the balls, but doesn't kill him. I didn't really know if he died or not. Oh, maybe he doesn't. Maybe we're getting confused. Maybe he does die here. I thought he died there. Yeah, so he kills the other police police officers. I quite liked one of them. He then drew the chalk outline around him and then a little Santa, Santa. hat on top on the floor. <laughs> yeah, I had that written down too. And this thing is like, there are some funny jokes in this. There are some good sight gags. And then you're dealing with, oh, look, it's Sergeant Dick Sucker. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? Nick and Mac get pulled over by the police, but it's not the police, it's Santa. What? Uh, and he starts chasing him down the road, Terminator style, like Homer Simpson coming after Flanders' car with the golf clubs in his hand. Yep. Runs down, they look back, and then they can't see him. It turns out because he's on the roof. What? They try and drive off, ditch Santa, try and get him to- I Shoot him. 
yep, they shoot him. Like, Max trying to show Nick how to use a gun. He shoots him in the, the face with a shotgun. Falls off the car, but obviously he's not dead. They race to Nick's grandfather's house, get into the bunker, and they think they're all safe. And then they realize on the security monitors, a group of carol singers have shown up. Yep. And they go upstairs to be like, you guys need to fuck off. Santa is coming here. And they're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and lo and behold, who should be there? Santa's there, gorilla presses a woman through yeah. a window. <laughs> yep. Surprise, surprise. Kills all the carolers. They race down back into the bunker. They lock the door and sort of hide. Santa follows them. Come on, we have to get out of here now. on Christmas with Santa trying to murder us. How fucked up is that? Uh, but they escape out the back exit of the bunker into the garage with some uh, some snowmobiles. They try to escape on the snowmobiles, but Santa sees them on the surveillance and he confronts them and he and Grandpa go toe-to-toe. And this is the reveal that Grandpa is the angel who was the old man, right. which I pretty much cottoned on to the second he was on screen. Yep. Yeah. Once they did the clay animation of the story, the clay animated character looked exactly like the grandfather. I was like, oh, he's the angel. Then they did it like it was a reveal. Like, what? But yeah, Yeah. it was pretty soft reveal. They pretty much forecast it. It was much like uh, the undercover boss Kylo Ren sketch where he goes to reveal himself as Kylo Ren. And they're all like, yeah. Yeah, we knew. We we knew. I knew from high I'm Matt. Yeah, right. So they go toe-to-toe. This is like Goldberg's biggest acting scene, and they're basically just shouting shit at each other. And then he whistles for his reindeer, the the big bison, and the terrible CGI-projected bison... So bad. ...knocks over Grandpa and kills him. And unsurprisingly, we get Goldberg say, Oh, Grandpa got run over by a reindeer. You've really let yourself go, haven't you? What are you packing around there? An extra two pills, I bet. <laughs> Mrs. Claus, she's one hell of a cook. Not much of a hairdresser, though. Oh, I've waited a long time for this day. Not half as long as I have. Unfortunately, your time is about to expire. So you're done spreading joy and warming the hearts of children everywhere. I hate children. For centuries, I've received millions of their letters. And now, I'm free to hunt down every last one of those brats. Such a long time and nothing learned. Enough! There's only one thing that can make this dagger more complete. Nikki, go! I won't leave you. Get on! Grandpa! Got run over by a reindeer. Saw it coming. The second I saw the sleigh coming down, I'm like, this is where they're going. And they delivered. Nick and Mac escape on the snowmobile and Santa chases them down. It is the worst graphics in the entire movie. It is, it's like throughout it, the kills are kind of, they're, they're generally pretty good. Like nothing's great, but it's all fine. But this is just horribly bad. Yep. We do get a return to our old friend, the missile camera angle from Blue Thunder, though. Oh, yeah. Nice. Nice reference. Where it's like sitting over the top and zooming around. And that's the point where I watched it the first time and messaged you saying, we have to do this film. Yeah. Was the, the Blue Thunder camera angle. Yeah, that is a that's is a direct correlation there. Fun. Santa's throwing presents and there's explosions happening. They're very clearly like set up nearby. It's just, it's really poxy. This whole scene is really 
just an elongated chase scene. There's a little bit of a break there with the grandfather dialogue, and then it's then it's back to chasing, essentially running from Santa. Yep. I could potentially throw a challenge flag here is this is a very small town. There's no sort of implication that the grandfather lives anywhere else but a, a fairly busy street in this small town, yet they go the longest possible way through like the woods yep. and over hill and down dale to get to the town square which is basically empty, aside from these people who are there doing Christmas stuff. They try to warn everyone, but no one wants a bar of it. And then Santa comes in on his sleigh. We get the priest this time. He's dressed up as Santa Claus. He's back again, pushes two women out the way and says, move, you skanks. (laughs) Santa sets the tree on fire, just general carnage. Uh, Nick and Mac head to the local school to try and hide there. Nick's trying to break a window, but he can't. And then Mac does. This is where you get the part. She puts his hand on her boobs to try and push through. What is very clearly a broken piece of plastic. Like the window moves with them. And it was weird. When you crawl into something, don't you normally go head first? It was like set up to do the cop of feel line. Yep. I have to go through this window feet first. No, you don't. (laughs) <laughs> crawl, crawl on through there. Well, also, I would have thought you'd knock out the rest of the glass in the pane. Right. Yeah, 10 seconds. Because uh, once you've already broken it, yep. Anyway. Soft flag there. They go through this very clearly plastic window. Santa stalks them into the school because they set off the alarm and you get another fantastic line. Who's your daddy? Father Christmas. It felt a bit forced for me, but it was enough where I was just like, I wasn't paying attention as much. And I was like, oh, yep, I'm, I'm back in the movie now. <laughs> Apparently can spit fireballs or at least can spit one fireball because he spits a fireball at them and he misses them. They run to the library and he follows them there, can see that they're hiding behind uh, the shelves. He like lobs a bauble and there is no sound or bounce or anything of it. It just sort of lands with a thud on the ground and starts spewing out smoke everywhere. Right. He picks up a copy of A Christmas Carol, almost holds it up to the camera, and says, Christmas can sure scare the dickens out of people. They run out of there and find themselves on the school ice rink. Santa comes barreling towards them on a Zamboni, and Nick shines a light in his eyes. Yeah. And he's sort of dazzled for a second and then goes, I'm Santa Claus, not fucking Dracula. Which was kind of a weird line. Yeah, is that a Dracula thing? No, it's not a Dracula thing. The light doesn't make any sense. I guess daylight, but it was a flashlight that he shined into his eyes. Yeah. Santa's bearing down on them. He's about to run into them and crush them with a Zamboni. That's how Canadian this movie is. Yep. (laughs) There's a Zamboni. Love the Zamboni, though. Oh, yeah. Great word. He gets hit by a magic curling stone, which stops him. And lo and behold, who's there? (gasps) Who? The angel, Grandfather. Is there to save the day. The foolish archangel, Ilsa Craig Yulson. The only angel to give up his immortality for an earthly woman. I'm beginning to feel a little more like my old self again. Wicked. Your grandfather's an angel. I'm not talking to you, look after you. I swear I'll never take the Lord's name in vain again. You're forgiven, Nicholas. Sorry I couldn't have made your death a more painful one. How did you know I'd find you? You said you'd go to hell and back to find me once the bet was over. So I moved to Hell Township. Was your grandfather always so literal? I had to make sure you would honor our wager. It was easy to find you. 
Dear Santa, I've been a good boy nearly every day this year. I wanted to see you at the mall, but my grandfather finished curling practice too late. I don't think he really wanted to go, so I'm writing you this letter to tell you what I would like for Christmas. Can I please have a mini-bake oven? Sincerely, Nicholas Hewlson, 29 Meadowlark Lane, Hell Township. Let the boy go. It's me you really want. On the contrary, I knew the boy would lead me to you, and he did. Now that he's the last remaining Yulson... Why don't we settle this, Claus? Care to redeem yourself? Turns out that Santa had tracked him to hell because Nick had written a letter to Santa as a kid, and that's why he was terrorizing this town. And the grandfather did something that was, I guess, a little more clever, where Santa said before they parted ways their first time, I'll see you in hell. And so the grandfather, the angel, moved to a town called hell to make sure that Santa would find him. But Santa pulled out the note, and it ended up being Nicholas that gave up the spot anyway. It turned out he did ask for an easy bake oven or whatever it was. Yep. And not actually Optimus Prime. So the kid's a liar as well. Nicholas is a liar. Trying to impress a girl that he apparently doesn't even like. Yeah, exactly. Phony. You're phony. Grandfather Angel challenges him to another curling game, a match of curling. This time the stakes are, again, Grandpa will go to hell for, for all time versus the Dave Slaying's never coming back. You got to give that shit up. Give that shit up and concentrate on golf. So Grandpa throws his stone to the edge of the hole. They cut a, a hole to hell in the middle of the ice. And then Santa is like lining up a shot. And then he just grabs Grandpa and throws him in the hole. Yep. Nick reacts, shooting Santa with the nutcracker gun. Remember that from earlier? Ooh, callback. He shoots him through the chest and says, Chestnut. That old chestnut. The writers started to fall asleep at this point, I think. I think so. Santa's kind of dead now, I guess. One would think. So they thought he was dead. And then they leave. First of all, they think he's dead. And they pull Grandpa up from the hole to hell oh, right. and throw Santa's stone in. So it's like curses, supposedly done, put in place forever or whatever it is. Yep. Grandpa tells them that Santa has lost his powers and they now need to go after him. Uh, but Grandpa can't leave the hall. Oh, you're right. He has escaped. They think he's dead at first. They go get Grandpa and then he's not there. Classic slasher. Yep. Nick and Matt get the local gun enthusiasts to hunt the bird deer. It's like the flying bison. Yep. And try and lure Santa and his reindeer to them with these gun people or hunters shooting them. It's Mary's brother and father that are part of this gun troop. That's how they kind of call them over. And so they're all shooting at Santa and nothing's happening. It looks like Nick's taken a shot and the whole sleigh blows up, but it turns out that it's actually Mac's dad. Mary's dad has shot him with a bazooka. Yep. Daddy? Hi, sweetheart! Daddy, where did you get that bazooka? Then he gave it to me for Christmas. He'd been saving up his llama loot. Isn't it great? It only caused me a lung. And your vocal cords. (laughs) (laughs) And then the cops show up. And the guy's like, oh, this bazooka's fully licensed. It was a gift. There's some bazooka jokes. The Native American with the voice modulator says that he he had to give up a lung. So they made a couple jokes about that. The whole time, we didn't mention this, but the priest was dressed as Santa. 
and Goldberg basically knocks him out and puts him in his sled. After they blow up Santa's sleigh, this priest falls down on a spike. It's a flagpole. Oh, sorry. He falls down on a flagpole. And they think that that's the Santa that's been terrorizing everyone. It's Priest the whole time. Like a wrong Scooby-Doo moment. Pastor Timmons. Pastor Timmons is the psycho Santa guy. What a scandal. I was one of his altar boys. Nick rescues the Book of Klaus, which is there with him as well. And Nick and Mac finally kiss. She says something like, you punch like a girl. And he says, yeah, well, you kiss like a guy. And then they just let that hang. And they sort of just look at each other. Yeah, they just let that <laughs> hang in the air. And then they kiss. And the movie finishes, cut to the airport, and Santa, Santa is now dressed as a biker, heading to the North Pole on an aeroplane. It's definitely set up for a sequel. And, and at the end of the credits, Goldberg, dressed as Santa, looks at the camera and says, Who's next? Which is, of course, his, uh, his catchphrase. And over the credits, we get a song called Bye Bye Santa, which recaps the plot of the film. Wild Wild West style. Wild Wild West. Hmm. Yeah, they did this cool thing with the credits too, where they had check marks next to each name, whether they were naughty and nice. I didn't know if it was the characters or the actual actors. You know, I noticed like certain ones like Emily D. Raven was nice, whereas like Fran Dresser, Chris Kattan, they were both naughty. They were kind of naughty in the movie. Still like a nice little touch. Yeah, fun little detail. You don't see too many uh, movies have fun with the credits anymore. No, and that's always nice when you do get something. I used to love when you'd get the bloopers of a Pixar film that they've like clearly just had to animate. Yep. I I used to love a blooper reel. Yeah, me too, for sure. This film could have benefited from a uh, a blooper reel. 100%. So if you've got anything else to add here before we roll into our rating? No, not really. I mean, the movie, to me, felt the beginning was a lot more fun. And as the movie went on, it felt like it kind of lost steam there. You could probably hear it as we were describing it. At least that's how I felt anyway. The opening scene was, okay, what are we getting into? Just kind of slowly, the air got let out of the balloon there. As far as the draft goes, I want to say, think it could probably be a sixth round. Think it has enough value that it should be drafted. I could see someone young seeing this at the right time and having a connection to it. Or if you're really into wrestling and Goldberg, it definitely had a few laughs. They were campy. It was cheesy humor. But you really did have a solid B acting cast. So for me, it's not completely without merit. My thing is, I could probably count the amount of times that I laughed during this. So I I could probably give it a sixth round. What about you? Would you rather watch this or Gus? Oh, that's a good question. Actually, I probably would rather watch this. Couple of interesting facts. 41 deaths in the film at a runtime of 78 minutes is about a death every 1.9 minutes. And Goldberg met his wife on the set of this film. No kidding. That's pretty cool. She's a stunt woman. Yeah. The first time I saw this, we had had a bit to drink and we had some friends around and it was like a fun watching experience where we were all kind of, this is so crazy. Oh my God. Like, what the hell are we watching? And it was a lot of fun for that. And I could see a situation where it's Christmas, you've had a few drinks, there's a people where I go... Let's watch a Christmas movie. Yep. And you put this on and you have just a blast. Yep. I definitely didn't enjoy it as much the second time around. And I don't know if that's just a case of like you're stopping and starting, you're making notes. The surprise factor's not there. 
I thought it had some decent kills. Yep. I think the idea is really good. I think in better hands, this would be a more interesting film. Mm-hmm. So I think it's better than the six. I'm going to say it's a fifth round. I could see that. Yeah. I would happily watch this again. For me, this is, we talked about, was it Home Improvement last week, being that wide out with incredible blazing speed that's always going to get him on a practice. This is the situational pass rusher for me. He doesn't play every down. He comes off the bench, has an impact, but you don't need him every snap. And that's probably how Goldberg would have played anyway. Yeah, 100%. And if I do compare it to the Home Improvement episode, I would rate this higher than that for sure. Yep. I put that at a seven just for its societal impression. Yeah. I could see fifth. I feel pretty comfortable with a sixth, but I'm not mad at a fifth. I was expecting to put it higher. I'll say it's a a fifth. Anything else? Or do you want to wrap this up? No, that's all I got. A sixth rounder for you, a fifth rounder for me. Tell the good people where they can find you if they are looking to wish you happy holidays. If you want to reach out to me on social media, you can find me at Twitter at Justin underscore B. Or if you want to see some web and design work or need some web and design work, you can go to justin-b.com. And you can get in touch with the show on Instagram. We are at Screen Pass Podcast. You can drop us an email if you have questions or recommendations or want to wish us a happy holidays. You can do that at screenulater at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at Sheehan Solo. Not that we're hitting the drop dates with any sort of regularity at the moment. I think we'll probably take January off and be back maybe with a Super Bowl episode early February. Early February sounds good. Until then, look after yourselves. Grandpa got run over by a screen you later. <laughs> uh,